This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified Game. Game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. And of course, AL. And today on Diversified Game, we are lucky. I'm going to call him, he's visiting America because he might be from America, that Baltimore area, but he lives currently in Zambia teaching basketball. He's also taught basketball in Zimbabwe and South Africa. This guy was over here playing basketball in the States. He taught basketball for different areas from children's homes to youth groups and he went and took his game international i want to welcome jamal k atkins how you doing brother i'm good brother morning morning brother uh l how are you um it's a blessing to be here i thank you guys for for uh introducing me to your platform Uh, myself and my wife have been around the u.s since we landed on the 18th and uh, since we, we, you and I discussed this, we've been listening to your podcast. We've heard a number of them. Some of them are really funny. I told, uh, I told my wife, like, it's a great conversation. It's like a brother's conversation that got recorded and released for other people to understand what we think about and what we talk about. Um, I told my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep dropping my brand to see if I annoy somebody. She was like, do not do that. Uh, just because <laughs> we heard the brand one. And I was just like, it was strong, though, man. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. We, yeah. pre- we, we appreciate it. And that's just what it is. We just want to be able to inspire. Um, and, and just what you're doing, um, wherever you're at, wherever you lay your hat, we're just trying to uh, inspire and have the next generation be, you know, one step above, have some more game and give it to them where we know that, you know, that lacks in many places, many homes. But tell us, because a lot of listeners are going to say Zambia and they're going to have to go to Google and say, what's that? <laughs> Kind of like, you know, maybe yeah. some of our political leaders that don't know geography. So let us know, um, you know, why Zambia, why basketball? And also, let's not forget in this conversation that you are a tech guru as well. So you're taking all your skills everywhere you go. But tell us, yeah. why, why, why Africa? Okay, thank you for that. Um, I think I'll start with the original plan, really was to come to Africa for one year. Um, I was in Florida. I had been playing different. I had a sports agent at the time. I've been playing in different tournaments, trying to win a real contract, trying out with this team, trying out with that team. And um, it was great fun. And uh, a friend of mine who played college basketball with me, Ronald, um, played with me at Shenandoah. So I went to Shenandoah University, two sports at Shenandoah, basketball and lacrosse. And, you know, one of my friends basically was just like, yo, why don't you come out here and, you know, take a visit, um, see what's going on. And I had some other friends who were willing to travel. So we went to Germany for a couple of weeks and he was like, man, you're here. Let's work out. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's work out. So I go to the gym, not knowing that, you know, it's 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 his uh, it's the team he's playing on. So I got a chance to work out and show a little bit of skill and and show that I was interested and got a, got an opportunity. It was just like, hey, man, these guys want you back. You should think about coming back. And that wasn't even in my thought process as I went. We were just going for vacation, trying to see somewhere else, had a little bit of expendable money. Let's remember I said a little bit of expendable money. And I sacrificed it so that I could see something else. And um, I got there and was just like, well, this is pretty, this is pretty you know, nice. But I always thought about short period of time go back home and do whatever I was, you know, whatever I was doing. And um, when I came back home, my mom, who is a, uh, is a minister in in the uh, AME and the CME church, she had gone on a missionary trip to Ghana, Togo, and Benin. And when she came back, I mean, she had a lot that she was sharing with us, even though my mom's, you know, my parents are quite educated, I, I would say. And she knows a lot about Africa, been speaking Swahili for years. And um, she was just like, oh, I heard about this opportunity you should look into. And it went in one ear and out the other. And then I I guess it was a week later, 
there was a, a, a flyer on my desk of this group called Playing for Peace, which is now called Peace Players International. And she said, you should check it out. And it was a group of guys from the DMV, some really wealthy families had created a, an NGO, a basketball non-governmental organization or 501c3, however you look at it here, to do work in two places, Dunedin, Ireland and Durban, South Africa. Um, and she said, you know, the South Africa branch really needs to hire, you know, one of us. Again, went in one ear, out the other, didn't get what she was saying was one of us as a brother. All of the guys who were there were white Americans, really good at basketball, knew and loved what they were doing, but wasn't really making the connection of what we could bring from here as black men to what was going on. And they kind of got pressured from the people on the ground in South Africa. Like, you need to bring some brothers over here or we got to make some real changes. And so they did this open call in the DMV. And my mom had the letter. I took a, a, a train and then a bus over to D.C. to go to American University and to go through this hiring process. And at the end of it, I was, you know, super hyped, really intrigued and felt like through the interview process, us talking, I was good. But then the guy was like, well, you're not in yet. You still got to show if you can play and see what you do. And I was just like, oh that's the easy part. Like the hard part is over with. Like if you just, I just got to show I can shoot and oh, great. So then we get there. One of the guys who was in the meeting has now changed his clothes. I'm like, you got on basketball shorts and sneakers, bro. Like what's going on here? Oh no, you're going to have to play to prove you. And I was like, play you one-on-one. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to. So now at this point I was like, oh, some of the adversarial understanding I got in that meeting was because you were kind of, you know, building up, finding me out. And the news cameras were in the, in the gym. Uh, we're at American University. Uh, Gigi Barnett, who was a lady from TV here, was there. And I scraped him up. I was like, there's no choice. Uh, we, I mean, you challenged me with a camera showing. Somebody may see this some other time. I put the wood to him, you know. So then I just walked out the gym and said, thank you. And I was like, I can't wait to see you guys in South Africa. And then the guy says, well, you didn't get the job yet. And I turned and looked at him. And I was like, you don't get it, man. This job was ordained for me. That's the only reason why I'm here. I'll see you soon. And I walked out of the gym. And that was in uh, second week, December 2004. First week, January 2005, I'm prepping to head to South Africa. And I've been in Southern Africa since. It's, wow. 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 That, that's an amazing story. Amazing, amazing story. Yeah. So, like, why basketball? Uh, how did you get your start there? Um, what, uh, what, what gravitated you toward the sport? Uh, why not other sports? Um, can okay. I talk about it? Uh, thanks again for that. Basketball, uh, it became my true love. But it, it's not the only sport I played, and nor was it the sport I was best at. I was actually best at baseball. Um, but by the time I got like 13 or 14, no one would pitch me the ball. Like it's every time I, I mean, I walked probably eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 times. It was one guy who I still remember, you know, fondly, his name is Kevin House. This kid, when we were 13, 14, he was throwing upper 80s. Yeah. And House, nobody could hit him. You know, like if you got a hit off House, I mean, if you got a bunt off House, people were just like, yo, you are the man. He's the only person who would throw to me. Um, I hit him a couple times, but I have to be honest, most times he struck me out. But I was just like, well, he, he only on one team. So every other team is in a problem when we play him. And then I got to the point where I could, you know, I could hit. I could choose where I was going to hit. My older brother played baseball. My dad played very high level ball. Um, and it was the best thing. But then it got boring because I never got it. All I did was catch, play outfield, you know, and then I was just like, I wanted to do something else. And again, both my parents are, are very athletic and coaches. I just, you know, kept playing baseball, but shifted my focus to basketball and basketball just became my, you know, my true love. And then I went to St. Francis Academy, which is here in Baltimore, which is the oldest um, school in the United States that would teach African-American men or teach African-Americans period to read. This is, this is my school's from the 1800s. And um, it was started by a group of nuns called the Oblate Sisters of Providence. Very small school. Uh, my, my starting class was 31. My graduating class was 30. So 
you know, I knew everybody. We knew each other, you know, very close knit. And we only had one sport, basketball. So we had anywhere from 85 to 105 guys go out every year for 12 spots. So if you can make this team, you can play. Subsequently, my first year, I was out of tryouts before the end of the first day. Tryouts is like a week, week and a half. I didn't even get a sniff. And I had to like sit and watch people like, I don't think he's that much better than me, you know, like, and it's one of those learning lessons. I was just like, man, this is serious. But it taught me, I still have a chance and you gotta, you gotta really fight for it. Um, I don't know if you know, but you said your mom lives in Maryland. Um, do you know where the penitentiary is in Maryland? No, not from Maryland. Okay, the one in the city is across the street from my high school. Huh. So I grew up in, in Northeast Baltimore, but spent a lot of my time in Lower East Baltimore because my mom worked there and we spent a lot of time there for sports. But when you, when you come to school every day, and at this point, this is the, you know, the early 90s, actually 1990, you see one of the biggest penitentiaries in the, in, in the East Coast, maybe in the country, across the street every day, like, you know, every math class, I'm looking out, out the corner at the, at the penitentiary, out, out of the corner of my eye to the penitentiary. And the nuns, they use that, you know, they would say, do you want to stay in St. Francis Academy or do you want to go to Greystone Academy is what they called it. Um, and we did that scared straight thing regularly. You know, we went over there all the time and I was just like, man, I got to take this serious. Um, so I started putting time and craft into basketball at all times. Um, and Basketball became a true love for me, and it became an escape. It became like the place where I could go and quiet the noise and, and really get a chance to kind of test myself in a safe environment regularly, you know, play with the older guys. And sometimes you get knocked down. Sometimes you get knocked down every play, but it was safe. You might go home a little, you know, busted lip or bruised away, but it was, it was safe. And ultimately, it was a way I got, to, got a chance to find myself, and it, it became my, um, my safe space. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And in terms of uh, in terms of life skills, um, what do you uh, believe that uh, organized sports brings in terms of life skills and interpersonal skills that you've now taken into the real world, transition to college, um, professional life, uh, so forth and so on? Uh, man, team sports are. I mean, now that I teach it all the time, it's it's kind of crazy to me that. You, people who don't play team sports, you, you learn social structure, you learn how to lose, which is one of the biggest things I work with kids now. I mean, I've stopped, I've been in, we've been in the States, like I said, since the 19th. Um, I've stopped several young men on the street. Cause when I go to Baltimore, like I catch the bus from Columbia, could I take a car from here? Yes. Can I get somebody to come? Yes. But I, I ride the bar, the bus to kind of see socialization and I've walked downtown Baltimore a couple times because it's home. I like taking pictures of how things change. But you got to see a young brother doing something and you just talk to him. And he's like, man, don't do it. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, it's so hard to see it that they don't get it. And you can tell when someone has played a team sport because the socialization that happens in team sport, knowing what I do affects you and what you do affects me. And even if we lose, if we work hard to do it together, we got something to build on for the next one. Um, it, it just teaches you goal setting. And sometimes your goal is we don't want to lose by 100. We know these guys are going to beat us. You know, let's just cut into it. So everybody who sees the scoreline, like, man, they lost, but they only lost by 20. These guys have been beating guys by 90 the whole season. We got to worry about them. Like we, we learned all of those skills. Um, and then ultimately I think it I think it teaches you how to be a citizen, how to be a part of something that is not all about you. And um, and if if we as as black men learn that earlier, I think we have a better chance of assimilating and being able to move in and out of the the areas that that people get to see us in on a daily basis. You know, like I'm I, I love having these conversations. I love to talk to enlightened brothers. I love to spend time with people who are um who want to know more, but I can also do the other thing if that's just what, what it requires, you know, and, and that allowed me to, to be able to, to know myself through, through the bas through basketball. <clears throat> Shout out to your, your mother, um, to both your parents, cause it yeah. seems like they did a great job raising you, but also, um, I didn't grow up, um, 
with uh with women preachers in the church probably until like i was about to leave to go to school but if i mm-hmm. saw a woman preacher and then she knew how to play ball my whole thing I, that would have tripped me out like i never saw that if you know my mother was amazing but it, you said your mother was athletic i'm only picturing this woman going from you know the church to shooting ball and maybe um you know scoring on some some guys or something but um yeah, she she sounds like they did a great job in, in, you know, just the school that you pick. And that's a big thing now with all the school shootings here that you don't have to deal with in Zambia or, or anywhere in Africa is where do we send our kids to school? You know, should it be the private school? Because, you know, there's a certain element. But really, mm. very few schools are safe in America. Can you talk mm. about how schools and how teachers and professors are treated. And I want it geared towards that person who's listening, who says, you know what? I I wanted to study abroad. I was looking at Asia and I never heard of Africa and Mm -hmm. and let them know how the teachers are treated in, in the teaching by the students and also, you know, the, the, pay because a lot of folks are going to China because they're getting paid more to teach out there than they are even in the States. Okay, I just want to, I'm going to digress to the beginning of your statement there just a bit, um, just just to let it be known. Like I said, I went to middle school in the 80s, high school in the 90s, and I lost three friends who got killed at school in Baltimore City growing up. Like, so people getting shot at school or near school, for us, it's kind of like, man, oh, people taking, taking this seriously now, you know? Um, there were metal detectors in our schools in 1989 and 90. You know, like we were getting patted down going into middle school regularly. Um, So this being taken seriously as a country, I think, is important. But more importantly, I think it also is sending a message to young men and women that you have to govern yourself accordingly at all times. You can't just do what you want to do. You know, it's kind of like the 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 repercussions of of bad decisions. Um, So I just wanted to say that 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 was there. In terms of going to school abroad, I think it's a great choice. Um, I think for teachers who want to come, I would say the biggest thing, and I tell people a lot, just do your research. Know where you're going, know what the climate is, know what the people are like. Um, moving in, and living in Africa is tough. In the beginning, it's tough. There's a lot of adjustments. You have to have control of your wants. Your needs are met in almost every country. Um, but your wants, your wants can make you feel like, oh, this, this, I can't do this. I can't do this. Won't work, and and it will work. But you have to adjust. We're used to, you know, everybody adjusting. I mean, just literally, I had a conversation with my mom, almost turned into an argument yesterday. Um, I was in the city, and you know, she wanted to grab something to eat. I was jumping back on the train to come out here, and so I was like, you know, I've been hearing about this this Popeye sandwich thing. Like, I want to eat one, see what the noise was about, you know. And I'm, I'm trying to go plant-based for the rest of this year once we get back to, because I used to be. I want to go back to that when we get back to Zambia. So I was like, I'm going to eat it while I got the chance. So I had a sandwich. I was like, really? Is this, is this what people were fighting for? And it, this is foolishness, you know, firstly. But I couldn't say that until I had actually tasted it. And the, the, the disagreement with my mom was, is we want everything to change for us as individuals. She was like, yeah, when, when that thing happened, we should have, they should have had a separate line for people who only wanted something besides the sandwich. And I was like, you know, as Americans, we feel like everything must change to fit what we want in that moment. And I would ask people, don't come with that mindset. Come with the empty cup mindset. You know, if you've got an empty cup and you're in the line of people and they're pouring drinks and it gets to you and it's something you don't want to drink, you don't got to let them pour it in the cup. But, but you go with a full cup and then somebody come with something you want, there's nowhere to put it. And so I think it's important that people who come, do your research, but come with an empty cup. Come looking to learn something and find out what really fits for you. Um, In many countries, especially Asian countries, um, people teaching like English as a second language and and things like that are going to be more profitable than in Africa. Firstly, everybody thinks Africans don't speak English. I would tell you most of them speak English better than we do. because they have learned British English. So they speak very proper English. Um, and it, deri- you know, it gets derived from there to kind of adjust to where you're going. Um, and the teachers that are, that are planning to come, which I really want you to come because we need more positive messaging 
especially our brothers and sisters coming from the US to, to foreign countries. We need more positive messaging to show who we are, especially as brothers. But you have to come prepared to deal with some changes. Um, and payment wise, it depends on what school you go to. I would say if you can, if your, your, your tenure as a teacher will allow you to work at the American International School of wherever, whatever country that is, do it. Firstly, once you're in and you've done well in that, pro in that program, you can go to any American school around the world. So it, you kind of go to the top of the list of people trying to get that job the next time. Um, so that's a plus. That's a really big plus. And then secondly, when you work in an international school system, um, a lot of your social systems are already there. You come and it's there. So you just have to adapt to it a little bit more. And I think that's a, it's a good way to, uh, to get in. Brothers and sisters, if you plan to come, um, I would say sacrifice a little of your wants on a yearly basis here before you move and take a trip first. You can start in South Africa. We call it Africa light because it's like, you know, it's Africa, but you could easily go back to being in Miami or being in New York very quickly, especially in South Africa. Durban, Cape Town and Joburg are like being in major uh, American cities. Um, but do that, but make sure you extend your trip for at least a week and try another African country and just get to see the diversity between South Africa and a country that's further up continent like Zambia. Super safe. You can walk around at three o'clock in the morning in Zambia. And the only thing that might happen to you is the biggest thing you got to worry about is a drunk driver. Like is nobody trying to do nothing to you. You know what I mean? Like the people don't even, they're not even thinking like that. It's, it's a whole different place. All African countries aren't like that. So I, the reason why I'm saying come to Zambia, because it's safe, super friendly, great food, plenty to see. And of course, we got Victoria Falls. And I got to address this while we're on this call. Victoria Falls is not dry. There is plenty of water. Don't believe the hype. Plenty of water in Victoria Falls. Back to you, brother. Dig it, dig it, dig it. That was... <laughs> A good good punchline on the uh, on South on South Africa. You said Africa light. Africa <laughs> light, man. <laughs> Dig it. Starbucks everywhere. Burger King. Wow. You know, just yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. Now, um, in terms of um, uh, the the balance, um, you know, I know you uh, coach basketball. Um, where, where did your footsteps lead you in terms of your your interest in tech? And uh, could you share? Um, uh, your interests and like what your specialty is and mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about uh, or share rather um, that, that interest. Thank you. Uh, tech started when I was very young. Um, so we had this requirement by our parents two weekends a month, at least, or two Saturdays a month, at least we had to be in the library for two to three hours for many, many years. And I don't read fiction. I only read um, like manuals, you know, so I would read manuals on how to fix an engine. They always let me touch an engine at 12 years old, but that was interesting to me. I would read how to fix equipment. Um, I remember doing for, I think it was three weeks straight reading consumer reports on which Walkman I was going to choose because my dad was like, I'll buy the first one. If it breaks, that's on you. If it, you know, like that's your, so I was like, I'm not picking one until I know what I want. Uh, and it still works. You know, it's at my mom's house right now. It still works. man. It still So it was like, it started then, you know, I was like, I want to look at a white paper and like pull it out and see, does this match with that? And if, if this breaks, can I change the magnet? Can I change the wheel? And then I started getting into remote control cars and, you know, remember the Tyco cars and they tell you, you can't take them apart. Once they break, they're broken. And I was like, yeah, maybe for you guys. Um, so I started taking three or four cars and making them into bigger cars and and then from there was remote control helicopters and gas powered cars and then just everything. And then um, sound systems started, uh, had some family members who, who owned some nightclubs. So I got a chance to tinker with equipment that they took out of, you know, the, the places and, and figure them out. And then at a very young age, I, I joined, I think I was like 12 or 13. I joined like the junior uh, AV committee at the church. So I got a chance to play with really good microphones and pianos and drum sets and all of that stuff with no, 
like no recourse now. Of course, if I broke it, I probably would have been in trouble, but I got a chance to touch it all the time. So it, it gave me like, like real world opportunity to see the stuff, see and touch it at a very young age. And excuse me. And so this is why um, I chose communications with the focus on production when I went to university. And I got to Shenandoah University to play ball, you know, but I was like, well, I think you got to choose something, you know, everybody said, man, communications is the, is the easiest. So I was like, all right, that's what I want, because I want as much time as I can to play ball. And um, I got into it in like weeks. I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, I just started picking up classes. I was like, no, I want to add a class. Now I was excited about um excited about it to the point where I got like an award at the end of my freshman semester and there was a, a senior guy who also got it which everybody expected I didn't miss any classes so after the thing was over my coach gave us the award I'm looking around like what is he taught we allowed to miss class I didn't know we could miss class you know so I went on I went to a Catholic school like on GP you miss class you're in a problem you know so I just went on that and I realized, like, yo, that's, we get regarded as adults here. I want to do something else. So I went and found the radio station at school, which wasn't really operational. And I asked, like, how can we get the students to hear what's happening? Um, can you, we, we good? Can you hear me? You good? Okay, I, something popped up on my screen. So then I, uh, they said, well, you can go in there. And I talked to the guys, and they were like, yo, we, we got the equipment. But nobody really knows how to install it. You know, like the school bought it and we don't. So I sat in the basement of the communications building for weeks, learning this equipment, learning how it worked. And it's called Radex cable. It's basically this big, thick cable with small holes in it. And it pull it across the roof of a building. It gives you FM signal from there to the ground. So we pulled, I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna try. So I got the maintenance guys and said, can we do this? And they were like, yeah, you can do it if you want to. Kind of, we're not doing it. And they let me start using this Radex cable. And then what happened was the, the TV connection at the university, if you had a TV in your room, it gave the signal so you could hear the radio station on the TV. So I got all of the, some of the, the, the more senior students, but I got it you know, lit up and it was fully working. And then I got some other guys who are hip hop heads like myself, one of my best friends in the world, uh, last born child, y'all need to talk to him. Um, Ahmed Childs out of Baltimore City. Um, working in Delaware right now teaching. He said, man, let's do this. So we started a radio show. And then constantly from there, we saw how good it was. We started Jab Productions, which was Jamal, Ahmed, Billy, and Boo, four guys that were on the men's basketball team that were all serious into music. And we, we just kept doing parties. So I built a bigger system and a bigger system and a bigger system till we started bringing go-go bands from DC down to the school which is, it was unheard of. Like, they were just like, no, you can't do that. There's nowhere even big enough. It's, it's only the gym you could use and no one's going to let you use the gym. I was like, well, my basketball coach is the AD. We're going to talk to coach. And he was like, are you guys serious? He's like, you know, no one's ever done this. And we were like, yeah, that's why we are who we are. We covered the floor in the gym, brought a go-go band down from DC, had thousands of odd people in the gym. It was just, it was crazy. And then I really knew, I was like, this is my thing. And I've never really let it go. So my specialty, as you asked, the audio and video systems, um, I do biometric systems. So fingerprint, retinal scan, um, and security systems. Like, I mean, I got my cell phone here next to me. I, I'm watching my house from Zambia at all times um, on a regular basis. And that's really my thing. I do mostly now really big audio systems for houses of worship, universities, movie theaters, and clubs. And then we do security systems for residential uh, people as well as uh, like we did the large, the new Zambian military base was finished this year. And me and the team, I got seven, got six guys, one guy, I'm not, I don't think he's going to stay. Um, six guys in Lusaka. And then we hire whatever we hire local skill set um, to teach guys. So wherever we go to work in country or in the region, we hire guys there so that we teach them either the basic, you know, basic skills, how to repair stuff. Or the ones we see that are really talented and, and, and intuitive, intuitive, we teach them some actual, some actual other skills. And we finished the largest military base in Zambia this year, or helped finish. And we did all of the audio systems. We did the CCTV security systems. 
um, and built all of the sports facility stuff. So that's the gyms, the basketball courts, the volleyball courts, the tennis courts, both indoor and outdoor. Um, and people thought like, how can this, you know, this American with these six or seven guys, you know, be able to pull it off. And literally I looked down at my phone a few minutes ago is because one of the, one of the big guys on the project just asked me, could we help them with something else? So that means we, we, uh, we got it done. That's definitely what's up, man. That's yeah. what's up. So Jamal, uh, you know, just kind of dialing back a little bit, like, are you okay. still as big into music uh, then? I mean, well, are you as big into music now as you were, as you were then? And if absolutely, so, um, you know, who are you, who are you listening to? Um, you know, what, what, uh, what artists like, yo, this artist is dope or I like what this artist or that artist is, is doing. Okay, so I'm gonna start with with the African artists I listen to a lot. Um, I have one that's a that's a gospel artist. He's a young man and he's he's so blessed. His name is Pompey, P-O-M-P-I, um, out of Zambia. You have to listen to this brother's music. So the the names I'm saying are people I really listen to. I can pull it up on my phone right now. Um, then there's a, another young man who I coached at the American International School in Zimbabwe. It's called HIS. His name is uh, Tanashe Mutasa. He goes by Mutasa, M-U-T-A-S-A. He's in school in New York right now. Um, he's just, he released his last song, I think in October, and it's dynamic. Um, I want you to check that out. And then I would say, um, let's see who else. I love Anderson .Paak. Uh, I think the brother is uber talented. And um, of course I listen to Nip. I have listened to Nip for some time. I, I really like, I really like his music. Uh, I listen to a lot of local artists here because my guys send me like Ill Conscience, Last Born Child. Um, they send me music while I'm on that side of the world so I get a chance to hear it and, and really appreciate it. Um, and then there was a group of young men that I helped um, some years ago get some albums out called The Zone Fam in Zambia. And now they've separated. They're all doing their own projects. So J-Rocks, that's J-R-O-X. And then Tim Thugger. And he's now switched over to uh, gospel music from secular music, and he's doing he's doing great. So that's mostly what you'll hear me listen to. That's what that's what's on rotation for me. That's what I'm talking about, man. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. I'm gonna get the links for for us, Al, because I'm looking as he's he's talking, and I'm like, well, hold on, is this the right one? So we're gonna make sure we get those those links because he you have fully um, embraced the culture, which is difficult yeah. for some uh, Americans, white, black, in between, um, wherever mm -hmm. they wherever they go. But I don't want to skim over. You just said you went to go teach basketball, started your business, and then working on military bases, which um, we've worked on RFPs um, for the government here in America. It is not an easy task. In Africa, I, I just no. want you to walk us through some of the process of, I, I don't call things bribe, I call them appreciation, like a toll, uh, mm -hmm. some things you just have to pay. But how mm -hmm. do you go in, you know, are there clearances, working on the military base? Is it, you know, I know they're paying you, but um, African yes. payment can be sometimes a lot greater um, mm -hmm. than here in America because mm -hmm. things, um, they're just a little more open and free. So can you talk us how that even came about? Did you have to have partners from there or did they kind of just trust you? Because like the basketball court, you had to school them and say, yo, I can, I can do this and I can yeah. do it better than you. Well, um, thanks for that. I would say in terms of the, the, the engineering skill set and the sound systems, I built many of them in the country at much smaller scale. You know, this small nightclub here, I built a couple of the big ones. Um, there's a group out of the U.S., out of Texas, called Family Legacy Mission. They are a very large um, orphanage, but they have raised millions of dollars here in the U.S. and taken it to Zambia. Um, in one of their buildings, their main hall, um, they have about 400 grand in audio, video equipment and upgrades. And the first time I went there, I was brought there by a former partner from another company I worked in. And he was like, man, they really don't know what they're doing, but they got a lot of gear. So I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Let me, you know, whatever. 
I was just coming back from the States. And then I get there and I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, they had three Christie project. I'm just telling you, my mind was blown. I was like a kid in the toy store. And I was like, okay, what can I do? And they asked us to begin working on their system. In over two and a half, three years, we upgraded the system. Um, we totally revamped it. You know, they got like three thousand, just under 3,000 kilometers of cable in the ground outside to give all of the sound system outside the building and inside the building. And when I had the opportunity to see that there were some clients who really wanted to do it the right way, I got to have a showpiece in country that was, it was, it was, I mean, you know, it was, it was God, really. God gave me the opportunity to put my hands on that. And what happened was from there, anytime someone says, we want to know about what you can do, we want to do this. I say, you can check these all places or you can go there, go to the, go up to the, the legacy center and you can see everything you want to know in one building. And most of the time when people actually go to the building and see it, I get a call in days. And, and I don't always win the project because I operate top down. So if you ask me what do I think we should use, I'm using some expensive speakers. I'm using some expensive mics. It's only, I only change that if you want that changed. And people kept seeing that my lists were always serious, but when they, when they vet the equipment, they're like, oh, this is being used at the Met. This is being used in the Kennedy Center. This is being used. I mean, some of the speakers, I flew all the way to the States to get two sets of speakers because I found out Prince used them in his home studio. And so when I found that, I was just like, well, you can't get much better than that. You know, if Prince is using them, they're good, period. Same way with microphones. I found one of this microphone I, I absolutely love. And it's, it's a mainstay in music. Celine Dion sings on that microphone. And so did Janet Jackson. I was like, okay, if she can jump around the stage and sing and Celine Dion can stand in one spot and they're both dynamic artists, I think we should check. And then I kind of go from, from that standpoint and it gives me the opportunity for people to see that technically I'm sound. And once we put it together, it's, it's working. It's kind of more like show and proof. Um, at this point, it's people who know of my work and who know me personally that most of our work comes from. They give, the, they give my contact to someone else because I don't run any commercials. I got not one ad up. I don't put anything in anybody's magazines, nothing. And are they paying you the way you would get paid here in America are better? I would say, and sometimes less. So let, let's point that out. Sometimes you get paid less. Sometimes you, it, it's not always a, a forward or a lateral move. Sometimes it's a step back. And because it's a trust factor that you're trying to you know, get past. People are really, really tight to release their money. Um, so I would say on big projects, we're getting paid comparable, sometimes better. Uh, on residential projects, it depends. Uh, because sometimes people offer me money to do it and I take less than what they offered me. It's like, I'll do it, but I'll do it for this because I know that's what's fair. I operate on what's fair often. On what's fair. Okay. On because, what's fair. because when you're dealing with government, sometimes the ministers have a easy pen and they can just write a check. Um, we recently posted a mascot that um, in an African country and $80,000 was spent on this hideous thing. And um, some folks that, that I know real, real close to me, I can't say the <clears> name, they, they said they should have asked for, uh, you know, 500000 <laughs> because anything under 100000 is, you know, you, there's no respect as a minister signing off on that. Yeah. So, you know, and these are the things that sometimes can benefit us, but okay, and sometimes less, but you're making a living, not just off the basketball, but your business, which I think is crucial because you see everyone running to Ghana, you know, but what we don't like from Ghana is when you're in Ghana as a black American, and then you start going on the GoFundMe side of things. Um, some, mm -hmm. some in black YouTube call it the dusty side, and you start asking people to fund your life while you're living in Africa, which makes Africa look a certain type of way. And it makes us look a certain type of way. Here we come to this country with all this, you know, knowledge from college and tech and all this. And now we're asking people to support our lives, you know, and you're definitely able to support your lives and other people's that you hire. So mm -hmm. you are like the role model that I'm going to be talking about. So when your ear is itching, that's me mm -hmm. talking about do it the Jamal Atkins way. 
And I would tell you this, full full disclosure, I have used uh, GoFundMe for once and I might use it again this year, but it's specifically to pay for plane tickets to take students from Zambia, players, and we're gonna go back to Canada. We played in a tournament a few years ago, four, four years ago in Canada. And I want to go back because we were just offered the opportunity to bring a team of under guys that are 22 years and under, which means they are all or everybody I'm going to bring is eligible to accept a college scholarship. So what I'm trying to do is, is take some guys to Canada and leave one or two of them. There. I don't want to come back with the same amount of guys I came with. And that helps us to fund that because if I pay, if my company pays all of this money, some of the kids can't accept the scholarships with the school they go to because it's an unfair advantage by NCAA rules. I paid for him to travel to Canada and I hooked up with this school and they got a scholarship. It's kind of like it's, it's on that line of, of, of breaking the rules. So the, the GoFundMe site uh, allowed me to have full transparency on what was happening. We could pay for it, but it might create a problem if we just paid out of pocket. Well, that's acceptable for the for everything that you said. That makes sense. I, I'm I'm saying more on the my kids won't be able to eat if you don't go fund my life. That part of the GoFundMe, you know, yeah. um, um, that 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 part won't of, happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's the once and like thing, though. That's that once and like thing. I guarantee you, there's some things that they're in, indulging and enjoying that are 100% wants. And it's only when that number starts to get too low that, that, they, that they realize, oh, we gotta have some, you know, we, we need our needs met. You know, our, we, we were living in the wants area. Now we need our needs met. We need somebody to help us meet our needs. And that don't happen. That's not going to happen. I wasn't raised to have to do that. Um, I am not above asking for help. I am not above uh, imploring the, our, our community around us to support us, but I will not, I just won't do it. I will go without in a minute before I expose myself to a situation that I think is incorrect for us to do, because again, it's not fair. You're not telling the true story um, until it's, it's so painful that you have to tell it. And then it's like, Oh, people are helping you out of some sense of, of responsibility because you're there. And I, th I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong to do. Solid, solid, solid. Well said, well said, Jamal. Um, in terms of, uh, outside of, um, your coaching, outside of, uh, your AV services, um, what's family life looking like? You know, what is some of your leisure time looking like? Uh, and how do you balance, um, all of those, all of those worlds? Uh, my wife is there with me and we have a dog. My son's 22 years old and he lives here in the States. Um, so I don't, I don't have any little ones at this point. Uh, my wife is there with me. We spend a lot of time together at home. Um, I got a, a, a Staffordshire Terrier named Kilo, um, and I love him. He spends a lot of time with me, but I don't do a whole lot of free time stuff, man. I'm either in the gym or building or repairing something. Like, so if it's free time for me, I'm at home watching YouTube on how to take apart a piece of equipment I just discovered the day before. That's that's like to me, that's leisure. Like, I don't really do the I, years ago when I was younger my 20s and you know early 30s I would go out and hang out I don't I'm in the house by 6:45 unless I'm in the gym yeah otherwise than that I'm you won't see me I dig it I dig it yeah and, um and so uh to piggyback off of that uh with every guest or more that we do have uh here on Diversify Game uh we definitely like to peel the layers back uh get into the psychology and the psychosis of um all of our guests and um, outside of like the, uh, the leisure, um, mm -hmm. what we would like to know is that, um, do you, um, your wife, do you guys have um, any charitable organizations that, uh, that really touch your heart? Um, is there any uh, community, community give back? And if yes. so, what are those things? Um, we have a few. Uh, so, the probably the number one that we spend the most time with is it's a group of women. Um, it's called Chikambuso. They make beautiful handbags and, and, and carryos and even clothes. Um, they're in Zambia. We, my, my wife is on their board and it's funny because I've only been married for approaching three years. I've been in Africa for 
15 now. Uh, my wife was currently working for the, the former administration and I met her doing the youth work that I do because of what she did for the administration um, back, here in, back here in the DC area. And um, you know, we dated for a couple years across the world. Because of, her, because of her schedule, she would fly to the continent every six months or so. So I would fly here, she would fly to the continent, I would fly to her in the continent for a week or two weeks, and then she would come back to the States and I would go back to Zambia. And then she, you know, we did that for a number of years. And, um, you know, I, people talk about our current administration and I'm like, you know, the number one thing that I'm so appreciative of Donald Trump winning is that it was easy to get my wife to come and live with me uh, because she was just like, I'm, I'm out of here now because she was in the former administration and saw it coming. So it gave me, it, it gave me the biggest blessing of my life. She was like, yes, I'm ready to, to come. Um, so I'm, I'm appreciative of, of, of that. And I would say, um, let's see, how, how will I put that? Um, Chikambuso is, it's a group that, that takes young women uh, and takes them out of negative situations and, and teaches them a skill set that's not just like, oh, I'll buy one because, oh, all right, we know we're helping African women. You see people come and look at it and be like, how much was that bag? And you tell them, they're like, oh, really? I want five of them because they would expect the bag to be this exorbitant amount because it's really well made. Uh, and so it's not hard to support those women because they're really working hard to learn. Um, we've worked with uh, several orphanages. I talked about one before to do, to do support work. Um, there's several other in, in country. I don't want to put any over the next, so I won't say, but there's, there's a number of orphanages. I don't want to leave any off the list is, is what I'm saying, um, that, we, that we go and support as a, as a Black community, as an African-American community um, in the country. At one point, there was about 70 of us, including the adults to, to the young people living in and around Lusaka. Now we're down to about 30 some because many of them work for NGO organizations or the US government and they have been reposted. They've moved around the continent. Uh, but we have been able to help and support a number of projects in the country with the, other, the support of the other African-Americans um, there. And let's see the next, and then the one that I am most passionate about is YBL, which is Youth Basketball League. And I spend a lot of time with the YBL guys. Uh, the guy who started YBL actually worked for me when, when I got to Zambia, which I've never really touched, what literally took me to Zambia. So um, from 2006 to 2008, I ran the largest life skills program in Zambia. And over a three-year period, I got to touch and be close to 50,000 students. Um, to to talk about life skills and how the skills that you can learn from their position. And a number of those people who work with me or were in that project have gone on to do some, you know, some beautiful and great things. And YBL is probably the crown jewel of that because Mwape, his name is Mwape. Consolo, this guy more my brothers because he's he's got that shoe thing um and their sneakers you know to to give to kids or give to other young men who will help us to help the young kids and, and that's that's been probably the, the the glowing moment for me to continue to show up on a saturday morning in the rain and it's 75 kids out there like it's gonna stop raining we ain't leaving you know it's i'm like ah, it ain't gonna stop raining they're like we don't care because we wouldn't have been doing anything anyway. You know, they're dedicated. And the dedication that Mape and his group puts in, the kids feel it and they show it all the time. Um, and I've been able to personally sponsor with the academy a number of those young people from YBL to get them to being better basketball players and better citizens. And some of them have excelled and been able to get out. One of them we sent to the States earlier this year. He's in Orlando, Florida. Um, he actually came up to the DMV area last week. So he came out and met the family. Cause he knows my wife, of course, cause he lived there, but he doesn't know anybody else. So he got a chance to meet my in-laws and my brother and his wife. And all of that was, was really, was really good. 
Man, that that's that's amazing. And and all this good game that you guys are getting, if you hear any distortion, that's that blimp that Jamal and AL were talking <laughs> about because they mentioned it and started, you know, veering out and um being in that um that government seized UFO area. But now this is all good game. Jamal, you know, I want to um you know, as as a consultant and somebody who books shows for others, I, I want you to come on um, another, you know, client of mine we've talked about. We're going to re- reach out behind the scenes, but I appreciate you giving this game up. And um, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way to reach out to you? And I'll make sure that information is in the description box. Okay. I think uh, Basketball Academy EX at gmail.com. I did put up our website. Our website is up, which is basketballacademyofexcellence.com. It's up. Uh, I'll be 100% honest with you. The actual skill set of working on a computer is not my specialty. I probably could fix any computer that I touch, but getting the software to load, sometimes I'm not happy. Um, A a lot of my computers have met their very short uh, lifespan dealing with not doing what I wanted it to do when I clicked enter or whatever. So I'm getting better at that. Uh, But the website is up. If anybody's out there and wants to help and teach me a little bit or send me something on how it could get better, I would love the help. Honestly, I would, um, because I want to be able to interact with people better. I want it to be, uh, you know, a two-way street, not just me disseminating information. Okay, and I think that you might be doing something to those computers like you're doing with the Tonka toys and these computers. I do take them apart sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and these computers aren't, aren't really, aren't, aren't always that happy when you do that. It's like messing yeah. with the Tesla. But man, I appreciate you coming on. We'll make sure that information is on and you and I are going to talk um, through WhatsApp in a second. I'm going to send you a message and see if some dates work for you. I appreciate okay. you coming on and be blessed out there, man. Keep doing your thing and keep us posted on what's going on, man. We want to be able to tell stories like this, you know, throughout. We want our YouTubers to be able to come see what you see and also bring a crowd of people like we did a few months ago to Kenya when we brought 30 people. Who says we can't bring 30 to Zambia? We just got to, you know, make it work. And so thank we, you. Very we've much. done it. We've done that twice, too. You've done it twice. Okay. So you even have a whole, again, we, we talking because it, it's all about the connections, y'all. It's who you don't know is why you don't grow, folks. So I appreciate you, brother. We are out. Y'all be blessed. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you. Peace, brothers. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and AL. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.